Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. After spending my entire career in the sports sales industry, I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. This podcast is presented by General Sports Worldwide and the Clubhouse. GSW is certainly picking up steam in search, recruiting, training, and consulting. The Clubhouse is a career development platform consisting of monthly webinars, in-depth training vault, job board, mentorship platform, blogs, and a focus on mental health. Be sure to sign up for a free membership at theclubhousecareers.com. In addition, thanks for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. For season three, I'm going to have the privilege of sitting down with industry experts to discuss their career path, three key topics that are current in the industry, three hustle hot seat questions, Three pieces of advice, all under 24 minutes. Now on to our guests this week. There are many ways to gain valuable experience in the sports and entertainment world, and the key is to take something you learn from every experience and apply it to your day. Our next guest did just that, and I'm excited to share his story. I'm excited to have Mark Fine, CEO of the Las Vegas Desert Dogs of the National Lacrosse League. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate you having me. Mark, very excited to talk about your career and certainly the role you're in now in launching the inaugural team. But first, you, going back, you attended American University, received a degree in communications. What did you think you wanted to do? When I came into college, uh, I liked sports and I liked TV, so I thought I'd be a sports broadcaster. Uh, and as I went through American, you know, that, that changed. Uh, I saw... Um, you know how difficult it was to make it in uh, in sports broadcasting, and maybe being a you know a local affiliate sports broadcaster, sports anchor. Um, so midway through, uh, you know, I started to think about what would it be like if I covered the team, if I was working for the team itself. Um, and I started to really get into the PR aspects of the job, uh, and that really um, that really suited me well. I had an internship my senior year with the Orioles, uh, which was my childhood, my favorite team growing up in, in, in the Maryland area. Yep. Uh, I was a diehard Orioles fan. A diehard we have Cal a lot Ripken of synergies fan. like we talked about, the Cal Ripken Jr. Day. That's right. Yep. That's right. I mean, I, and look, back then, uh, because I'm a little older, there were really no Ravens. Um, you know, the, the Ravens came when I was in college, but my uh, affinity was really with the Orioles. And I had this amazing experience as an intern there um, with uh, Bill Stecka, who still works for the Orioles now. And you see that with a lot of people there. They, they've been there for a number of years and it, it just made me want to work for a team. Uh, I, I loved PR and I loved at the time, you know, I still love baseball, but um, you know, I grew as, as I graduated and I grew into, you know, different roles. I, I grew to love the sports business um, and, and really understand the sports business. But when you're 21, 22, uh, you, you know, you love a certain sport, you love a certain team and all of that kind of matched well, uh, with my internship with the Orioles and, and being a PR intern and wanting to go into that field. No, absolutely. Well, your first opportunity kind of into that field comes with Comcast Spectacor where you were, you wore all different types of hats in the seven plus years you were there. You worked with the Frederick Keys baseball team, the Wells Fargo center, the old dominion university, you know, constant center. So in that time, you spent some time there in minor league baseball with hockey, an arena, and then a college center. And so how did doing all of that early on in your career help shape who you are as, as you are today? Yeah, I, I Comcast Spectacor was 
a fantastic company for me to work for, uh, particularly at the age that I was, you know, age 22 through 29, I spent my 20s with Comcast Spectacor, and they really taught me how to become a marketer. So, you know, I, I started in PR with the Frederick Keys, uh, which, is, which was a single A affiliate of the Orioles, and you wear many hats. Uh, so not only was I the director of PR, I was the bat boy coordinator. Uh, and you pull the tarp, uh, you know, on yep. the field, as, as many folks in the minor leagues, you know, very well know. And you leave your ego at the door. And that's it taught me the value of just hard work and leaving it all out in the field and, you know, wearing many hats and doing doing, you know, anything it takes um, to help uh, the business in particularly the ticket sales business. So I look at myself I, after, you know, three years uh, at the Frederick Keys. That last uh, half year, uh, the last six to 12 months there, I, I was moved over to marketing. And that's where I really, you know, uh, I, I, I cut my chops. You know, I, I really learned how to become a marketer and a consumer marketer at, at that. Um, I learned the value. One thing that Comcast Spectacle they always, always said was, um, it's all about a full house. You know, sponsors, they want to see a full house. The players on the field, they want to see a full house. Yep. And obviously, you know, selling tickets is going to help all your ancillary revenue, like parking and food and beverage and merchandise. And I always got that. So that was ingrained in me early that my job is to drive ticket sales. And I got Norfolk, Virginia at Old Dominion University, where I did the same thing, 8,500-seat arena uh, it was about driving ticket sales through the events that came in there, along with their men's and women's basketball team. So a great experience through my 20s. Um, worked for the same company, but had but three different experiences right. in three different locations. Yep. Uh, it taught me also that you got to move around, right? Yep. Um, uh, you know, in order to, to get promoted and to learn things. You live in different markets and you try things out. And, and, yep. and I, I've still been had to do that to this day. Yeah, it's just continue to evolve. And, and Mark, from there, you spent almost five years with the Harlem Globetrotters. And throughout your time with the Globetrotters, you traveled around the world, rejuvenated the brand, delivered record-breaking revenues, profits, had a hell of a record. You know, as I said, I, I never lost a game when I was working for the Globetrotters. I was going to say, like the undefeated streak, right? And so as you have, you know, I grew up going to consistent Harlem Globetrotter games, and it's certainly creativity at the highest level and family friendly. And so what all went into making that show of the Harlem Globetrotters, not only from the marketing side, but obviously that transitions into ticket sales. Well, so when I worked uh, at the Wells Fargo Center in Old Dominion, those kind of shows that I liked working on as a consumer marketer were family shows because they were wholesome, right? Like I found that market, and marketing towards moms, I mean, mom is 80% responsible for everything that goes out the door in a family. Um, and reaching that mom decision maker, I found to be very interesting. So family shows for me uh, was, was my favorite kind of show to market. So when I got to the Globetrotters, essentially. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and Mark, you know, your, your next stop was then with the New York Mets for six, six years. You work alongside some of my mentors and Lou DePauli and Chris Saber. And, you know, that team, you're able to set records from a revenue standpoint and certainly focused on the fan engagement, experience, promotions. You then stay in New York. You take over as the VP of marketing for BSC Global, assisting with the Brooklyn Nets, Long Island Nets and the Nets gaming. And so 
as you worked across obviously MLB and then into kind of the NBA family, working all the different leagues prior and then the multiple leagues with BSC Global, what were some key similarities that you, you and the team just had to implement to, to have success? You know, um, when I got that job with the Mets and uh, like you mentioned, I had great uh, mentors and friends and Lou the Paul and Chris Zaber and, and David Newman who hired me there. It was uh, a great feeling because, you know, yes, you could say the Globetrotters are a sport and the, the minor league baseball, yeah, is a team sport, but to get to the majors and, you know, after that internship at the Orioles um, was just an amazing feeling. And to do it in New York in the biggest market with an incredible, incredibly passionate fan base uh, in Mets fans was just, it was just awesome. So I had to take the experience and what, you know, I remember, um, you know, David Newman, who interviewed me at the time and, and Jeff Wilpon, uh, who made a comment about advanced ambassadors of the uh, globe trade. He said, you really you can get your players to do that, to go on a 5 a.m. newscast. Uh, it's a little different. They don't have a CBA. Uh, right. Like they yeah. do in Major League Baseball. Yeah, so it's a little different model. Get I remember a that few things. Jeff Wilpon. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, I was taking kind of like, okay, you take this event, how here's your, here's an advertising budget. And here's a budget that you came up with in terms of how many tickets you're going to sell. How do you maximize that exposure with media, with promotions, um, with community and group sales tie-ins? And it's doing that, you know, at the Mets, it's doing that at the Nets. It, you know, there were things there and, and Lou uh, was really responsible for this, but instead of marketing 81 games, we marketed 13 weekends. We mar marketed free shirt Fridays and yep. super Saturdays and family Sundays. And as a marketer, that made it a lot easier for me to be able to hone in and look at these as events, just like I did back in my promoter days with the Globetrotters or on the arena yep. side. And then you, we kind of, we, we would see things that worked, uh, you know, at the Mets and that style. And, and, and in my time with the Brooklyn Nets, we were able to kind of implement some of those things where it's like, let's look at games where we have a shot at really blowing it out because yep. we want sellouts rather than making um, average games, good or bad games, average, average let's yeah. make good games. Great. Yep. Let's sell the place out because that's going to spur other more tickets going to other games. So that's something that was consistent both at the Mets and the Nets. And I think it's a key point, right, is being able to ride parallel paths with ticketing and marketing and every other department. Like it's all about revenue generation and, and, and branding. How can you run parallel together? And Mark, you briefly talked about early on about being willing to relocate and, you know, as, a, as both personally and professionally. And, and you decide to move the family out to Las Vegas, where you are now, to launch the team in the National Lacrosse League. And this is also an organization owned by the Joe Sy Group and BSC Global. And, you know, first on paper, it, it might seem like a risk, you know, going from a professional sports franchise to another professional sports franchise, just not as well known. And, you know, the National Lacrosse League has been playing since 1987. The Las Vegas team is the 15th team in the league. And so as you think about that, what went into that decision-making process and, and what is your advice on making that professional personal decision? Well, I was really fortunate. I was hired at the Brooklyn Nets by Brett Yormark and Mike Zavatsky, who were two incredible executives. Um, 
Joe Sai and his group, I got to know them early on as the transition uh, came about um, in ownership uh, from Mikhail Prokhorov. And I got the opportunity actually like six, seven weeks into the job to fly out to Hangzhou, China and, and meet with Joe at Alibaba. And I got to know him a little bit, uh, obviously during that time. And in the two years that I was there, I was responsible for um, a trip that we took to China against the Lakers where every time I've moved Travis, it's been difficult every single time. It yep. is not easy. In fact, I don't think it's talked about enough in sports business circles about how difficult that is. Yep. You know, I was moving, you know, to move to New York. We, when I was with the Globetrotters, I reported out in Baltimore, which is home. So I had worked in Frederick, Maryland and commuted from Baltimore. Then I moved to Philly and my she became my fiance at the time, moved with me um, because that's what I, that's, that came with the territory. Right. Uh, and then my wife uh, became my wife and we moved to uh, Norfolk, Virginia. We moved back to Baltimore. We bought a house. I was working for the Globetrotters. We thought we were going to kind of stay there for a while. Then I had this opportunity with the Mets, you know, and that was really difficult yeah, for my wife. Out of home. Yeah, as a Baltimorean uh, to get, you know, around is like that we're we're not going to raise maybe our kids the way that uh, we were raised in yep. being in, in the Baltimore area. Um, so it's really difficult. And to make the move here to Las Vegas after eight years in New York, um, you're moving your kids 2,500 miles. I moved a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. Those are not easy ages. Yep. And it could have gone, I was very fortunate. Uh, they have a great situation at their school. Um, we have a we have a nice home. We're able to afford more here in Las Vegas than we would uh, back in Long Island. Um, but there's no doubt. You don't think it yeah. came with sleepless nights? Oh yeah, right. It came with plenty of sleepless nights. Uh, and you need again. I don't think this is talked about in our circles enough. You need a spouse. You need a partner. You you need kids to be you know bought into this because you're doing this together and you're leaving for a job right? You're leaving for your career. I mean, it's not friends that are bringing us to Las Vegas or the affordability. It was, it was my career that was bringing us here. So yes. it has to work, you know, in tandem and it has to work well. It's a very tough decision. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Mark Fine, CEO of the Las Vegas Desert Dogs of the National Lacrosse League. And, you know, so, Mark, with your time with Las Vegas, you've been tasked to build a team from a personnel standpoint, launch a brand, immerse the team into the community, among other things, to get ready for the start your inaugural season in December. And so 
Let's get right into three hot topics. And question one, launching a team is never an easy task, but launching a franchise while hiring a staff is certainly no small feat. So what are some key learnings early on that has helped the team jump off to such a great start? I've learned a lot from this, that's for sure. Uh, This is my first job as the head of a business operation. And it so happens to be that you're you're the first one ever uh, to start the franchise. So um, it makes it uh, doubly uh, a challenge for me. But um, I've learned, uh, you know, uh, the how it go, how important personnel decisions are, and bringing the right people in, and that in some ways, as you really start a franchise, the positions as you meet people could change. You really have the opportunity to develop a position that you were thinking of, and maybe changing it a little bit more because. Nobody else is in that spot to begin with. So you really have an opportunity to start fresh. I think it also gives you the opportunity to not just look at, okay, here's what the other 14 teams in our league are doing from a pricing standpoint, from a marketing standpoint. What if we got a little bit more aggressive um, in in how we priced and how we started it up? What are some of the things that they may have wished they could change right now, but they can't because, you know, they're, they're in motion right now. They're going and they would uh, take off too many people. It would, it would be too difficult. That's, those are some learnings um, that we've been able to make. We, we're going to make and we have made plenty of mistakes. We're still sort of learning as we go. Yep. Um, and, you know, we don't have data. We work for a company that's, um, you know, our ownership group is very analytically and tech forward and a- analytically driven. And we don't have that data, you know, to look right. at this. Yeah, is what we we don't have trends or anything like that. Right there. You know, so you have to make a decision around data that you have and uh, as educated of a decision as you can. Absolutely. And Mark, two, question two, you know, as you think about Las Vegas, you think about a ton of entertainment. And so as you and the team were preparing for this inaugural season, the franchise has to not only compete with the other sports entities, but all of those other entertainment options. And so what from a 30,000 feet view strategy wise, are you, you know, looking to complement on those, op, uh, those entertainment options within each individual's discretionary dollar? Well, here's the thing. We, the National Lacrosse League, We've got a really great sport, box lacrosse, indoor lacrosse. Uh, it is a fun game, particularly to watch in person. Uh, I, I think it's most similar to ice hockey. You know, 70% of the players in the league are Canadian. Um, it's the national sport in Canada. And it's fast-paced, hard-hitting, and a lot of goal scoring. You've got music going on at the same time. It's a two hour and 15 minute game experience yep. and it's just a lot of fun. So, you know, what's been great. I mean, we've got, um, you know, we've sold, uh, we were at a pretty good number right now in terms of where, what we've sold in terms of season tickets. Um, we've got a lot of work to do certainly to get us to the number that we want to be at, but we're yeah. off to a good start. And what I like about Vegas is people are really willing to give us a chance And I don't know if that's the same in every other town. I don't know if you can get that in a Baltimore or a Pittsburgh or a Seattle. Right. Here in Vegas, it's such a transient market. You know, yes, there are a lot of things to do for your dollar. Um, However, Vegas locals don't go down the strip. You know, they're not they're not just 
randomly deciding to to go see um you know one of the strip that strip acts um so i think you know for us we're fortunate because uh you know vgk the vegas golden knights did an incredible job of launching their team here five six years ago when this was not a hockey market at all and people were craving for it and you have and, and this goes against kind of the marketing grain you have people in their 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s becoming fans of this team and the sport yep. that's right and, and they right. had never they been fans before of the sport yep. and that's really rare in marketing circles because at the Mets we used to say hey we need to get kids into their first game by age eight. Right. Right. Early that on. was the all mantra. about the youth. All about the youth. So here um, with our organization, the Desert Dogs here, we're, we need to educate not just kids, but the, the full marketplace, how fun the sport is and how incredible of an environment and seeing a game live and in person is. Yep. And that's where I think we do. That's our value proposition. And again, our sport is very similar to hockey. You have a Wayne Gretzky who, if you Google Wayne Gretzky uh, lacrosse, you'll see that his dad, you know, thinks he became the great one because he learned uh, his stick handling skills through playing box lacrosse as a young kid. So uh, that's, that's our value proposition to a potential customer here in Vegas. And then finally, question three, Mark, just recently, the team launched the brand and logo as the Desert Dogs. And so, you know, how was that experience going through surveying, preparing and ultimately the execution of a launch of a brand for the inaugural season? Well, it was a long process. Um, it's a, we announced our team on June 21st, 2021. We finally announced our team name April 26, 2022. So it took a while. Um, we were extensive uh, in our surveying, um, you know, of what fans wanted uh, and what matched with the kind of brand uh, that we wanted to be here in the market. And we think that Desert Dogs came out on top uh, in terms of the colors. You know, you can see in my logo here is, uh, is, is what we ended up going with. And our colors yep. are black and white. We'll probably splash in some color, uh, you know, uh, as the year goes on or as time goes on. Um, it was an incredible process looking back. It was a tough process kind of going through it. Yep. Um, but ultimately, it was rewarding because, you know, our fans or, or the community seemed to really uh, get behind it and really like it. Great career. Always a ton of great advice. Certainly fun to hear about your journey, you know, throughout the professional landscape. And so to close it out, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. You ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. If you could have any actor play you in a movie, who would it be? This is going to sound conceited because I look nothing like I, 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 I feel like I have the Jerry Maguire kind of Michael. It's between Tom Cruise and Michael. Michael J. Fox was my favorite actor. Okay. Um, I love the Back to Future movie movies. Yep. I, I loved as a kid. I was still pretty young then. I love Family Ties. I probably would go with Michael J. Fox. Although the Jerry Maguire anxiety that he has, I certainly no, look nothing like Tom Cruise. I, I kind of like to. But if I had to pick one, I think it's going to be Michael J. Fox. What's a clothing style trend that you would love to bring back? I don't understand why it's been brought back, but the short shorts have been brought back, um, you know, which is <laughs> yes, strange. Indeed. And, uh, you know, I'm, we're, we our gear that we have here, Las Vegas desert dogs gear. We have the short shorts. 
So I don't know if anybody wants to see me in them, uh, <laughs> but I think that it is interesting that that's been brought back. That's, that's the one that comes back. Yeah, short yeah. shorts. Mark, if you hosted a late night talk show, who would be your first guest? God, that's interesting. Um, so, you know, I'm not a starstruck guy with the exception when I see with a few like when I see actors, like I crashed a wedding. I was in Baltimore uh, at a wedding um, about 10, 11, 12 years ago. And David Simon from The Wire, uh, who created The Wire, yep. his son was getting bar mitzvahed upstairs. And I crashed it with somebody who was just a, a huge Wire fan like myself. And seeing those people in person, uh, like the McNulty character in person, <laughs> um, or any of the, I'm a big Sopranos fan as well. So I feel like if I could meet with somebody, it would be like one of those actual characters um, that I really liked. I really love the Tony Soprano character. I like the Polly Walnuts character. Um, and then in The Wire, um, you know, I, I really like the uh, McNulty character, um, you know, as well. So, again, I was starstruck and wanted quite to take the talk show. With, yeah, I, I wanted to take pictures with those folks. Uh, seeing kind of the, you know, the people that come in and out of uh, an arena, I'm not a starstruck guy, but I remember seeing Tony Sirico uh, at a Mets game. And I was like, oh my God, there's Bobby Bacala. Like, and I was starstruck because I love those shows. It's awesome. Well, Mark, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's attitude and effort um, just are, are so important. Like you just have to work hard. You know, one thing that I read, and I know my title is CEO, but I read years ago is what do CEOs not want from their employees? They don't want drama. Um, you know, how can you help the person that you're reporting to? How can you make him or her a superstar? You know, what can you do to chip in to help? So to me, um, you know, attitude and effort sort of go without saying, but you'd be surprised at how tough that is. That is to find. Um, and I would also say like just emotional intelligence, um, you know, and understanding like cues, um, being able, I, I've looked at myself as sort of a chameleon when it comes to the people that I've reported to. I've reported to an array of different people throughout my career that are very, very different people. If you were to all get them in a room yep. and it's, I think it's understanding like, Hey, what is it? This person, you know, what are, what are their desires? What are they looking to get from this business? What are they looking to get from me as a subordinate and working through that? So I think it's attitude, effort, and emotional intelligence. Um, you know, and do your best every day. Like you just do your best. You try your hardest. Right. And, no, and dominate your day. It. Well, I love it, Mark. Thank you so much. Certainly appreciate it. You've had a great career. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate your time, expertise, and our friendship. Absolutely, Travis. Thanks for having me. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com